Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley-Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The greater the length while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Hi, I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett and I designed the Penile Rehabilitation Program to help men recover from prostate cancer. It's an online program built on decades worth of knowledge and experience and practice. It's the only one of its kind in the world and it actually works. So if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer and want to get your penis working again as quickly as possible, and why wouldn't you, then visit penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you'll be off and running. And it only takes about 15 minutes a day. All the best with your recovery, which I promise will never be as bad as you think. November 11, 11am, 60 seconds, kids watch on the wall. In the pub, in the tab, in the cars, we remember and wonder what... So, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today, we have a living and breathing Jeffrey. So, not not plastic Jeffrey, we have real Jeffrey. Now, Jeff, spelt the same way. Spelt the same way and everything. So, Jeff had his prostate out in March this year, 2022, and... He is a really great story and I think he's quite a typical story of someone's recovery and we just want to talk to him about that and his preparation and how it went and how he is now all these months later. So welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Melissa, and also to you, Joe, as well. Thank you. Lovely to meet you today, Jeff. So, Jeff, start off and just talk. Tell us, tell us your journey. Okay, I might just make some sort of introductory comments. Sure, you know, because, that'd be great. Um, Contrary to what the experience of some has been, by and large, generally, I would describe my experience with prostate cancer as a positive experience, which might be a bit surprising. It might be a bit odd to a number of people. But um, personally, uh, I've found that uh, not only have I learned more about myself, mm-hmm. I've also learned much more about particular parts of the body that you know, in the penis and the bladder that I just took for granted. Yeah, yeah. And um, look, I would hope that I, I've become much more empathetic uh, of others who are, you know, suffering cancers and other ailments as well. So for me, it's actually been a learning experience. And um, overall, as I say, on, on balance at this stage, at least, it's been a positive experience. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that's a really important message to get out there because often we only ever hear about negative experiences because that's what people talk about, not so much their positive experiences. And I think, you know, what Joe and I both want to do with, with this podcast, the whole thing, is encourage people and explain to them the real life 
experience and that it's not as bad as everyone thinks. Yeah. And, and that's why we want you here today to tell us that story. Yeah, look, the sort of when I sort of reflected on it, one of the sort of analogies that I drew from was, um, for example, I always used to be mystified at um, people with disability and their often enormously positive attitude. Mm. And you know, you take for mm. example this year, uh, the Australian of the Year, Dylan Alcott, mm-hmm, who's yeah. uh, you know a Paralympic uh, gold medalist in both basketball and. Um, and tennis? more more recently tennis, tennis at the at yeah. the uh, and Tokyo his um, wife girlfriend is a sexologist yeah Chantal right. Alton yeah yeah and yet if you hear Dylan speak um, he speaks very very positively he has very lofty ambitions for him as an individual uh, and he he there's, there's nothing about being a victim in this no, and, and in fact he says if there was a magic pill that I could go back and and undo and 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 not have the disability he would not take it Mm. so you sort of think well how does he have that kind of attitude Mm. so uh for me when i was diagnosed uh, with the cancer i thought well yes it's it's not something you'd necessarily welcome but Mm. there's always many in much worse circumstance lemonade again yeah Yeah. and and also you know that it sounds like you know, looking back, you've actually had some positive experiences out of this. You feel like you've become more empathetic. You mm. understand how your body works that you haven't thought about before. So there was some positives mm. in and, that. And we call it positive growth theory in psychology. Right. Mm. Yeah, look, it's been uh, a bit surprising because um, I didn't anticipate that, <laughs> you yeah. know. Because there's a lot of the sort of, you know, dreaded C word with mm. cancer. And, and I'm not sure, to be quite honest, we're doing everyone a favour by sort of conveying that sort of sense of anxiety. Mm. Um, And, I mean, I I sort of would draw upon um, uh, survival rates, which Mm. I now sort of understand, but if if only 30 years ago, 1990, survival rates from all cancers in Australia was 50%, it's now 70%. And Mm. prostate... 96 to 98 is now... Was 63%. Yeah. 30 years ago, it's now 96%. So... It's then for me, and, so and my, my mm. interpretation was, how do I manage it? It's not, it's not a life or death sentence. It's, it's how do I manage the impact? Yeah, that's a really great way of looking Can at I it. Can I also just share something that from my global health kind of statistics in my head, we know that one in two men will be diagnosed with a cancer in their life and one in three women. But I think the, the death rate is something like only one in six and either will pass away from it. Mm. So you've got... High diagnosis, but long survivorship in most cancers now. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So, tell us your journey. What, what happened? Okay. Well, look, uh, in my circumstance, uh, I was aware that my father, when he was 70, he was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, I only became aware of that many, many years later. <sighs> yeah. mm. um, he died when he was 92. Uh, 22 years later. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he didn't die of prostate cancer. No. Yeah. He did have a TERP, you know, sort yep. of a little sort of clean the up. TERP to, uh, is the transurethral resection of the prostate to help remove the middle part to decompress the urethra so that it flows better yeah. and enlarge prostate. Yeah, so he, so he had that done. Um, but I'm not aware of – I don't recall any discussion as a family about that. Yep. Um, but I now know, of course, that – uh, if your father has had it and you're the son, then the probability of you getting it is is significantly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, greater. It's it's a one in two chance. Mm. Yeah. So certainly, and look, I look back and I think my father, the way I would sort of describe it, uh, he was in a very happy marriage. He was a very 
but he was a he was a better listener than he was a talker. Wow. Yep. And um, so that just wasn't something that was that generation that sort of spoke about. Mm. Whereas I've got two sons. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, they have to know. Of course. You know, what the consequences are. Because this is now the next generation, the third generation, mm. that there's a one in two chance potentially being affected. That's right. So mm. I happen to sort of almost by um, – um, g- a bit of good luck uh, through uh, opportunities through work. Um, I would get the annual, you know, PSA blood test, mm-hmm. and um, generally I was in very good health. And I'd go to the doctor annually and say, oh, "Nothing really to report. Well, let's just get the blood test and make sure, you know, so check for uh, all the usual yeah. things you've got to, you know, cholesterol, insulin, and kidney function, liver function, etc." Uh, and then the PSA. And um, it was in uh, September 2020, so just in my sort of time travel, yeah, September that would be 2020. Great. Yeah. It's two years ago exactly. Yeah. 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 So my PSA was 4.3. Mm-hmm. The percent free PSA was 21. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, um, while there's no normal per se, uh, for someone in their 60s, that was probably at the sort of tending towards the upper range. Yeah, so at the time you were 65. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Sorry, but how old are you now, 67? 67, yeah. yeah. But then um, in 2021 something changed and I can actually recall the moment that I sensed that it changed, although it took a while wow. to, for a bit of mm-hmm. hindsight for that to, to, to come out. Because I was, I was driving on the Mitchell Freeway in Perth and it was peak hour, um, absolutely chock-a-block, traffic not moving. And um, I had a sense, you know, a, 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 a sense that I need to go to the toilet here. Ah, now, okay. I actually remember saying this is actually more than just a sense of going to the toilet. This is I need to go to the toilet. Yeah, okay. Right. But I'm in a traffic jam. jam. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sort of casting around <laughs> in the casting. I've got an empty water bottle or something about that. Oh, I'm so – I've got so got penis envy. I would love to be able to do that. <laughs> penis envy. <laughs> go, yeah. Um, and – uh, look, nothing. And and I, I was familiar with, because I'd travelled and, you know, I'd sort of understood that the bladder, you know, you can sort of hold on and it's a muscle that mm-hmm. expand and accommodate that and then you can sort of, you know, take your time to find a toilet, etc. Mm. But the sense of urgency was here. I thought, this, this I, I can't hold on. As it turned out, the traffic started to move. I took an exit, found a, found a public toilet and uh, overcame that particular problem. But I still remember that that morning and that sense that sort of just a different level of urgency that i had sure. now that then happened in different circumstances a couple of times later and i thought i must get on and have that psa test yeah okay so then uh about six weeks later end of august i had another psa test and the reading had gone up marginally yeah. okay at that stage it was uh about 5.3 so it had gone yeah. up uh, 4.3 to 5.3 mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because of that movement, uh, the the doctor suggested that uh, I go off to a um, urologist. urologist. And you had an excellent GP who picked up on that, so that's fantastic. Yeah. So the interesting thing there in Australia is you've actually got to do two blood tests within a three-month period Mm. in order to be eligible for Medicare rebates for um, MRIs. Did the test, confirmed, yes, it's 5.3, 5.4, went off, did the MRI, and um, I remember the getting the results. I mean, one thing with surgeons and email etiquette, um, 
very, very, very brief. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I remember getting it on a Wednesday evening. It was uh, the results attached. It was the MRI result. Yeah, results yeah. attached. Wednesday evening, results attached. Um, if you like, I can see you Friday morning. Mm. Wednesday night to Friday morning. Yeah, so I thought, wow, he's on the offering. That's the delivery of the cancer diagnosis. That was the results from the MRI. Which said there was cancer in there or? Oh, hang on. <laughs> okay. So um, I thought, so I got it. Uh, I thought, well, that's either offering a very, very good service mm. or there's something yeah. wrong here. Mm. Right? So then I read the results. Now, maybe to you guys and some of your listeners, it might make sense. But to me, it was unintelligible. Yeah, exactly. It was like. A wartime mm. enigma code. Mm. Jeez. To and try it is. And I, I break agree. It down. Unless you've got training in how to read these things, it's it's impossible. It's like Morse code. But but I did. There were, there were some keywords: PI, RADS five, lesion. Mm-hmm. Right. Lesion is so a then, scary word, isn't it? So yeah. and, and in fact, lesion. I mean, it's a word I knew of, but I'd never used. And I thought mm, I had a look at the meaning of that. I thought, yeah, it refers to, uh, you know. Um, so then you went disappearing down the, down the rabbit hole of Google, I imagine, putting those well, words in. Uh, well, that's right. I mean, that's what you do. But mm. um, w- what I saw from that is that the probability of a cancer uh, at that stage was 88% if you had PI, mm-hmm. RADS, yeah. uh, 5. 88%. So I thought, well, that's 9 out of 10. So I concluded in high probability, sitting in front of a computer screen, that that's what it was. I'm sorry, but it sounds like dumping someone on a text message. It's a terrible way to get your diagnosis. Yeah, Yeah. but anyway. Well, look, to be quite honest, I appreciated getting the results. Okay. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, but um, to me it was, uh, that's what it was, Mm -hmm. you know. So I I appreciated getting the results um, promptly, but the, the process stretches out because then you have... You've got the uh, you, you visit the the, the surgeon. You mm-hmm. then have um, the biopsy results, and then so, so it all goes from August to December yeah. before it actually gets confirmed. So it does August stretch out. August to December. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's five months. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Then you finally got a confirmation, and then your yeah. surgery was booked for March. Yeah. It's so just delayed because of COVID, though. The surgery was booked for March, um, partly COVID. with COVID, yeah, uh, because it was COVID willing. No, no, it's this year. Twenty twenty one, but we were in and out of lockdowns yeah. for um, you know you had to have a certain level of surgery before you were you know you could guarantee that you get the surgery. Yeah, um, but uh, it was done in so that, but I actually didn't mind the delay because when I spoke to him and he then referred me to a range of people. And yeah, that, that was fantastic. You saw the physio and saw yeah. the urology physio. I saw yourself, Melissa. Yes, I that's saw. Right. He didn't he see me. You saw another physio. So yeah. that's good. Yep. Yeah. Um, that there's other physios now yep. spreading their wings. Into she it. was great. Yep. Uh, and also uh, saw um, radiologist. You know, just mm-hmm. to look at the pros and cons of that that option as well, as mm-hmm. well as a prostate um, cancer nurse. Yeah. So, yeah, what I found is that. Yeah, my whole experience has been a very, very positive experience in terms of the, the medical system, mm-hmm. own personal view. You read the media, there's a lot of, you know, negative press and and it's certainly not perfect. But I, I sort of ask myself, which other country's health system would I rather have chosen to get mm-hmm. treatment? Mm. Yeah. Well, the answer is none. 
Yeah. So yeah. actually, I think we've got a fantastic health system. And you had a surgeon who referred you to different specialties to deal with those things. You know, you saw yeah. the prostate cancer nurse who could talk to you about everything. You saw a physio who was experienced in this area and then he referred you to me to talk about sexual function. So, yeah. you know, and then you went, you did all of that leading up to the surgery and then you had your surgery in March this year. Yeah, can I just sure. explain before you get to the surgery mm. because the the critical thing to me was, as, 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 as I understood, was the, the better you go in, the better you come out. Definitely. And in fact, preparation was, was key. Preparation prevents a piss poor performance. Hayden, what's his name? Not Hayden Powell, the um, man who, Scout's founder in 1908. Oh, yeah. The Scout motto is be prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because it was all, all new for me, you know, I, I needed to satisfy myself, one, mm. that I was, I was making the right choice mm. as to what um, I was going to do because, you know, once you make the decision, Can't put it unknown back. consequences and guess what, they might be for the rest of your life. So mm. you just need to make have all the information in front of you. So there's knowledge that you need. There's the physical preparation and then there's the specifically the pelvic floor preparation. Mm. Yeah. So I felt particularly with this one that I didn't have to rush into it. I didn't mind the fact that there was three months. Yeah. And that then, I mean, for example, pelvic four, you know, I, I, I um, had a program mm-hmm. uh, and I'm normally not OCD about these things, but I set up a diary where I'd record, uh, sequ- you know, all the exercises that I did. I'm sorry, but I'm having a chuckle because you just said you're not you're normally OCD and I know that you're a town planner and my brother's a town planner and I think by the mere nature <laughs> of that, of that <laughs> job... Your OCD. <laughs> well, in all like due respect and in good humour. Uh, maybe. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the what it, w- my take on it was that it was was sort of providing uh, discipline yeah. Yeah. for me to make sure that I did. It was holding me to account to sort mm. of act as a. Uh, I, I I needed to do it. A and cause this and sort effect. Of you investment know, meant that I was doing it. So can I just ask one quick question? Are you you have you working football? Yeah. Were you a football player yourself? No. Never. Okay. No. I just wonder because some of their sports analogy in real life town planning and all of that crossover, that discipline and that writing. Mm. So I just wanted yeah, to... Yeah, look, uh, I mean, football's an aside, but yeah. uh, I, I I was an administrator. I, mean, I, I played sport. Right, yeah. But I was an administrator. But I think when it comes to managing, mm-hmm. uh, then the lessons that we learn as individuals and as teams in sport have as much application, in fact, better application in the, into society into the and Because I even think of myself as a coach, a pelvic floor coach. Um, just I give you this, the tools and you fix yourself. Or I give you the ball and you go practice the kick or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Well, that's right. And so for me, like the diary was a methodology. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. that's, it's, it's not the answer. It's how do I keep myself on track. Yeah. So that's what that was. The other thing, just in terms of the, the pelvic floor, because um, – both through because of my involvement with sport, I'd mm. had access to through the workplace to Pilates for fifteen years. Um, I personally did yoga. I had a daughter who trained as a physio, so wow. all this was was you not had all your eggs in me. the right basket. <laughs> um, and but uh, and I knew then that when you do these exercises, that the effectiveness of the exercise is as critical as you just thinking that you're doing yeah. the exercise. Yep, so yep, technique yep. is very, very important. Yes. And one thing I, I uh, um, tried to understand was what does the pelvic floor actually look like? Because mm. it's not like an arm or a leg it's muscle. It's not visible. It's an internal it's muscle. 
It's just inside there. It's quite a complex, multi-layered. Mm, it's three layers. Kind of muscle. And how do I sort of imagine that? <laughs> how do I activate? How do I turn that on? Mm. You know, how to get it working well. So that was something that I, I worked through with uh, my urology physio as well. Just and what to about get that your picture. daughter? Did she give you any tips on that? Because as a generalist physio, and I don't know your daughter, but yeah. it's not something we're even taught. We're taught about females, but not males. Yeah, look, it, 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 that wasn't her sort of It's field. actually not in our um, programs anyway, unfortunately. You know, speaking out of school, uh, anybody who's uh, the family of the last to get treated. Yeah, yeah. You're like you a know. mechanic's car. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My so family complain the same. I yeah. mean, that's work. I mean, not yeah, family. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's so. right. And, you know, to be fair, you don't want to look after your family. You want them to be your family. You want to be one step a- one step away mm. and, yeah. and be there for what you, you need. Yeah, but so I found that very important. So, mm. look, that, that was quite a bit of preparation mm. and I was really confident in the decision that I made which suited me. And that I'd done the best that I could actually to sort of yeah. Be so you ready. went into this surgery feeling confident that you were well prepared and you were. Yeah. Ready. But also, didn't that give you a sense of ownership to your outcomes in terms of I can't. I'm going to be a patient yeah. and I'm committing my life, giving my life to these people to save my life. But this gives me empowerment to do my bit. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, ultimately, you've got you've got to own you know you your do. own body. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you you know while you can have experts provide assistance, you don't want to just slide down and, and say do what you do and then I'll just mop it up. No, you, that's you right. You can prevent it a yeah. lot of it mm. or but minimize you d- but it. You do have to have faith in the experts that yes. you deal with, yeah. and you know I have that faith. Mm. I mean, you know, if you're a qualified an expert or a surgeon, well, you're obviously better at it than me. So I, I don't have any qualms about that. But then here goes your preparation once again, because no doubt you researched who was going to look after you. Uh, or did you well, run no, your I GP? Was, uh, no, I was referred, I mean, uh, once again, I, I, I was referred by my GP to this particular surgeon. Okay. Uh, and I took his uh, advice Great. that this yep. was the right person. Because your GP is a wonderful GP, as Melissa yeah. said. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The um, interesting thing, though, when I did do it, uh, did meet with the surgeon and they said that, uh, you know, we're going to perform this robotic uh, radical okay. prostatectomy. Now, for somebody who deals in that every day, mm. that might sound okay. For me, it sounded horrific. Yeah. Okay. Robotic radical. Yes, mm. the Big word words. radical is radical. scary, isn't it? You know, that yeah. is extreme. That's radical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> prostatectomy and I thought wow that is what is that is that sort of sounds a bit frankensteinish you know mm. um so that the, the term was a was a sort of a strange term so this is as I sort of yeah as I sort of prepared and then there were a couple of other things that I learned that I had to deal with um catheter bag yeah um you know first time user uh and I thought mm, how's this going to go so there was a certain anxiousness about something, that yeah of course something new and the other thing that's not sort of spoken about but is uh, your bowels post-surgery. Okay. So tell us about that. What happened with them? Well, um, what, what you, you come to understand is that, you know, because of where the operation is and the nature of it, your bowels are completely drained. Mm. Um, that's a pico-pico prep, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the, but then um, – when you post-surgery, you're advised in using your bowels that you cannot exert any pressure or use stomach muscles in any way to go to the toilet because it runs risk of undoing the stitching, if you mm-hmm. like, that's been done to 
reconnect. Your know. urethra and your bladder. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, one day goes past, then two days, then three days. Yeah. Building and up, building up. <laughs> and it, it actually can become almost the only thing you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah. It's now, it's only for a moment in time, but when you're in that time, the first time you do go to the toilet and you haven't, yeah, and you've, you know, met the requirements is actually enormous, no pun intended, relief. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I've actually had patients say, I remember the poo day. You yeah. relate to that. Yeah, that's right. So it, it, once again, it's one of these little sort of things that you can develop a little bit of um, That's great. I don't think we've ever talked about, about this we before. We haven't, but I see it so all the time. That's and brilliant. massive part of my work now is to say keep your bowels open, do mm. even take sorbolax and do much more bowel prep. Yeah. Well, the reason it happens is because of the – the shutdown of your gut because of the anaesthetics mm. and the um, lack of movement and all those mm. sorts of things. And, and you're not eating time. and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. So that's a great – that's a really good tip. Yeah. yeah. The other thing um, – the other observation I sort of make – actually, there's a couple of other observations. Yeah, go, go for it. This is excellent. One was – the interesting thing for me was, apart from the surgeon, every other person that I've dealt with has been a woman. <laughs> that is process, interesting. I find that interesting too. In this in this journey, uh, now look for a male. Um, you know, I'm quite comfortable talking mm. about these what you know bladder and erectile issues with with a, with a female is actually quite comfortable. More so than with a male, where if you're just dealing in the facts, you can sort of have a bit of a staccato kind of conversation. And my wife made the observation that. With guys, and probably not the guys that you typically come along to have uh, at this podcast, but for many, for many guys, um, talking about personal emotional issues is not the focus of conversation. It's really just a snippet or an aside. It's not actually the full purpose of whatever the conversation is. It's just not something that we engage in because... Where we do, it it sort of can be interpreted by others as weakness. Yes, definitely. I think that's a big thing for guys, yeah. So historically, um, you know, as we're becoming more and more uh, aware, you know, vulnerability is just not something we've been very good at. Sure, yeah. So there's that sort of – it's interesting that in this journey – Can I just ask something about that? So I know that a lot of guys that I see – will actually say to me, because there is, um, like my mentor is a guy, um, he's a male doctor who does this, he taught me about all of this, um, Stephen Adams, and I know that a few guys have said to me, funnily enough, I feel more comfortable talking about this stuff with a woman than I do with a man because I feel like a man is like a peer and I won't feel as comfortable talking to them about these issues as I would to a woman. Do you think, do you agree with that or do you think it would have been nice to speak to a guy? Um, I think the right guy could yeah. do the job. Exactly. Oh, the, the, I agree. Know, I mean, and the, the, and there's, he can. <laughs> the, there's, there's no reason why that couldn't be. Yeah. I don't necessarily see them as a threat in that sense. No. Um, but I think this the, the, the reality is that this these are things. This is, you know, I mean, the women have, have had practice in. and Because and we have a menstru- menstrual cycle as well, we have a monthly opportunity to check in and reevaluate mm. what's going on. We have an open conversation all the time about our private parts, mm. yeah. but I don't think men do. No, well, I mean, if I look at, say, for example, the local media, you look at the health and wellbeing section of local media, mm. 
that is obviously targeted at women only. Mm. There might well, there be the odd. We got a big article a week ago. Mm. In I saw. Prost. Yeah. I saw that one. But you see, it does that. I mean, it's it's obviously you know the right time of the year. Maybe for it's that. a female health editor. Mm. Right, but. 90% of those articles will be targeted females. And females mm. are just more comfortable talking about it. So mm. I think they're more practised. It's something I think will change in yeah, time. But too. that's just where we are at yeah, the moment. Can I just mention something? Because historically this has been a problem for me personally in that I'm a female and when I wanted to work with my brother urologist and provide this service, I actually found out there was nowhere for me to learn about men's health physiotherapy. There was no course. There was nothing. But there, there is a collection of physiotherapy um, physiotherapists in the world who are female who do women's health and continence mm. but there was no such thing as men's health for 50% of the population and so I decided that I have to learn from experts so I went to a, a chap called Peter Dornan in Queensland he's actually the father of men's health and he's episode 69 of our podcast and he went through prostate cancer age 50 seven years of leakage later he was so distressed and depressed he set up his own support group he put an ad in the paper saying, uh, would anyone like to meet me for a coffee at a such and such time, such and such a date? I, I just would like to chat with other men who might have been through this. This is 19, so he's 75 now, so 25 years ago, 1997. How many guys do you think rocked up to that, have a coffee with him that day? Oh, well, don't be guessing. Probably none. No it was don't 70. Wow. Really? Wow, that's amazing. So he realised there was a... Uh, and need. So he yeah. helped set up the Queensland mm. Network of the Prostate Cancer Foundation, mm. of which there are 1,000 members. Yeah. But not only that, I got a piece of paper that said this is a way of doing the pelvic floor exercises written by him because he's a physiotherapist and he set up Sports Medicine Australia. Mm. He's won an order of a medal for Australia for his contribution to men's health. He is a fabulous person who specialises in pelvic pain in men as well. So he's my mentor. Mm. And when I went to Queensland to first work with him, I said, Peter... Who else works in men's health as a physiotherapist? And he said, you're looking at them, Joe. you and me. Mm. And I went, surely not. But then I found there'd be a number of experts around the world, which I've now learned from, a lady called Holly Herman, Holly Tanner in the US, a, a number of them, Jared Green in the UK. But I so realised that women were in this space and we could never relate to it because we're, we're, we're women. And so my, my, I then set up something called Mastering the Martians. I worked with Craig Allingham, who's episode... The uh, remember that one we did with Craig with the mm. um, Craig Gallingham, one of our episodes, Peter Dornan and a fellow called Stuart Baptist. I got three men to help me teach the physios in Australia. We were called Mastering the Martians. But my sole incentive was to get young male physios to come on board and learn about it. Funnily enough, we each picked a topic. Peter did pain, Craig did the psychology exercise, Stuart did continence. None of the boys wanted to talk about the sex bit. That was me. So, you're right, the space is very female-oriented, but I'm pleased to say it is changing. And now when I teach, 50% of the physios are now mm, young men mm. or males. Yeah. So, so, back to your story, yep. Yeah, look, it's interesting because, I mean, my um, physio, uro, uh, urology physio I saw uh, um, had not anticipated working in the sort of male space yeah. as well. She'd been trained to work with, with women. Um, we so need from so that many. background, we need so many others. Um, interesting though, when I do go to the classes, I go to uh, Pilates classes with her uh, post surgery once a week. Um, uh, I think I've been the only male at those classes. Mm. Uh, it has meant when I am sort of uh, activating my pelvic floor, I, I do understand where my bikini line is. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because it's the female terminology, right? Yeah. Do you right. know a lot of macho men would not feel comfortable in that environment? Yeah. yeah. Even though we're not trying to do that to men, it does put some men off. That's why I set up the PROS program, actually, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as an aside. But we, I set up Joga for men, a DVD for men only. So I don't get men to sit on their bottom with their legs crossed because men can't do that. It's the shape of your pelvises. But Pilates for men is much more approachable than yoga. Mm. So Pilates is fantastic. It works on your core. We actually need to do a podcast with your Pilates teacher potentially on all Mm. of this and how Mm. we do this. But Mm. Pilates is much more masculine, I find, than yoga. But you're saying you're still the only man in the group. Well, yeah, they're small classes because that's her clients that she's working with with typically uh, female continence issues that she's dealing with. So there's there's a continence class dedicated – sorry, it's a class dedicated to continence – uh, pelvic with a uh, sorry, um, Pilates with a pelvic sort of emphasis. Great. So it's not a mainstream mm. class. She's got no, that. that's wonderful. No. So we oh, need yeah. to interview her. Yeah, that'd be mm. great. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah, you do that, yeah. and then that that's helped you a lot. Mm. Oh yeah, no, they're they're fantastic. Well, once mm. again, it's the discipline. It's the sort of it's someone. Um, it's the external discipline of just maintaining an yeah. exercise program. Exactly, mm. and turning up. <laughs> yeah, and because yeah, yeah that's right. So mm. because. It's it's a lifelong thing, mm-hmm. you know. It's not well. I'm right, mm. so away we go. Yeah, you know? yeah. So you were prepared. You'd done all yeah. your prep. Yeah, and then you had your surgery, which it sounds like you were quite, you know, you were pre- mentally and physically prepared for that. Yeah. Um, so from that, uh, look, th- the the uh, as I mentioned, I was a first time catheter user, so that was. Uh, you know, an experience. I mean, because they had to take portion of the bladder, uh, so the knitting was bigger, mm-hmm. um, and I had to wear the catheter for ten days. Um, now, and, and interestingly, because it was summer, it was March, mm. hot weather, shorts weather. Yeah. Actually, just the sheer practicality of trying to find clothes that I could wear and wear out to a shopping centre without. And I guess you're not a guy that normally wore long Bermuda shorts. Well, you can't <laughs> get Bermuda shorts anymore. Right. Okay. You, I, you, I could not, you Baggy could not to have get a them. So then I'm thinking, well, how do I sort of uh, go to the shopping centre without frightening the public because mm. this guy's <laughs> just carrying a urine around, you know? Yeah. Um, so there was just that just that sheer practicality yeah. Yeah. Of, of post-surgery and dealing with it. I do remember when um, getting the catheter out because, gosh, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a natural thing. Mm. <laughs> uh, and um, it was a, enormous uh, relief when that was taken out but once again when the catheter is taken out post-surgery you have no idea what's going to happen here yeah. you know, I, I don't know where you know and can so I ask the question does it hurt did it hurt no okay because no. a lot of guys think it's going to hurt and I've heard stories that it hurts a lot you think it's going to hurt you just look at it and you think this is going to hurt <laughs> and they tell you it's not going to hurt but you sort of think I'll know that when you take it out mm. just another quick question a female urethra is three, cent- three to four centimeters and the man's is seven to twenty centimeters so it's it's a long process yeah. of pulling it out. Did that? Is that right? Or yeah, that's I wouldn't fine. say it's a long process. It's quick. It's like yeah, it's count to three <laughs> and it'll be out by one. The female one would be quicker, wouldn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's like negligible. No, okay. It's literally a second. Okay. Fortunately, it wasn't the first time I'd done it, so mm. they knew what they were doing, <laughs> and <laughs> it was <laughs> it was pretty straightforward. Mm. The thing was, I'd been advised to wear a level two pad, mm. you know, and they thought, well, okay, so I got a level two pad in. They said, how long before you uh, you had to drive home? It's mm. forty five minutes. They said, yeah, it should be right. And then, and then I drove home, and subsequent to that, um, it actually, to my absolute 
astonishment proved that there was no leakage. Right. Yeah. Mm. So you've never had any, have you? No. Yeah, you're, but that's all that preparation you did. That's well, brilliant. Well, I think, you know, obviously the quality of the, you know, the, 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 you know, the surgery you, you itself. You were doing the, quali- the, the technique yeah. correctly from him, from you. Yeah, that's right. The, the combination of all those things, I may be a little bit the of luck teamwork. in there as well, mm. you know. But it did mean, because continence was actually the, the significant issue for me, mm. to be quite honest, go, going in. And it just didn't eventuate. So maybe I was anticipating the worst, but uh, as it turned out. could have been just being realistic because everyone says get ready for the, I call it not Niagara Falls, but Viagra Falls. <laughs> I made that mistake the other day. Well, just, just as a sort of a slight play on that there, um, one of the things that surprised me, and there were a couple of surprises. Mm. Uh, these are only sort of incidentals, but no one mentioned to them, mentioned them to me coming out. And that is the first time that I went to do a wee um, consciously um, because up until this point for years uh, you sort of, you know, the the enlarged prostate is one of these things that it grows very slowly and you just sort of become acclimatised to this sort of, well, that's what normal is, but it's what I might call sort of uh, slow drip, drip, slow kind of urinating. Um, And when the, when you now, now that there's only one tap, so to speak, it gushes out like a fire hose. Yeah. Mm. So, like, the first time I have, I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, what's happened here? Yeah. <laughs> so, actually, that's that's a positive outcome. But the other thing that I didn't understand was that, once again, because there is the one tap, um, and sometimes it sort of seems to have a mind of its own. So, the way it works is I've only got to think about, actually, oh, I'll go to the toilet, and all of a sudden it's you, you can sort of, start before you're ready kind of thing yeah so i very quickly um learned to get ready hold and a little bit like the way that you train a dog to eat its dinner hold yep stop yeah okay (laughs) that's what i say to my dog no 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 okay (laughs) that's right so and and i had to do that early just to train that you you sort of so you you actually said i'm in i'm in charge here yeah, mm. excellent. So, I mean, you've done amazing. You know, you're, you're back exercising, you're continent mm. and you've been seeing me for your sexual function, which mm. you've been doing the rehabilitation. You're doing really well with that. Uh, look, that's... Um, How many months post-op, sorry? Just to it'll be six now. Six, six now. Yeah. 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 Look, that's still a work in progress. Of course, then it's going to be for a couple of years. Yeah. I actually say it's an art work in progress. <laughs> right. But I... Um, I was m- my wife uh, in uh, March of 2020, so right at the beginning of COVID. Uh, she had sur- she had to have surgery for a, um, a, a thyroid growth. It was a benign, mm-hmm. but it meant unpicking the growth around the vocal cords, mm. and that bruised or damaged the nerves. Mm. And it took 18 months oh for nerve uh, recovery. One of the yeah for it to recover. To a certain extent, and then with going to a speech pathologist to actually get full recovery. So mm. I knew, and yeah. Melissa, you've explained, you know, just how slow the nerve is in recovery. I remember you actually saying to me when you're one of the few people that when I said it's probably going to take 18 months, two years, you were like, oh, I realise that because my yeah. wife's had this experience. Oh, there's and so much preparation. How long nerves yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I was aware of that. Yeah. And so I think what that did was more reset my expectations. Mm. Yeah, which has been fantastic. So, it's uh, so you know, important to be realistic. That's mm. right. So I've had, you know, I followed all the uh, the advice in terms of, you know, personally the the Bacurette. Yeah, and you've done the, great. 
um, vibratory stimulation as the sort of long-term mm-hmm. – oh, sorry, you know, at, the, at this stage, just to – and that's one thing I didn't realise, you know, just to sort of exercise the penis through, which otherwise happens naturally it's that I'm not aware of. rehabilitation means by definition mm. exercise and the use of any medication to help re-engage your – sexual function after radical prostatectomy it's a mm. whole science yeah of its own. so that was all brand new to me mm. so i haven't as yet um felt the need to get to the point of using the ici injections no. intracavenosal or yeah peanut, that's right yeah, because you're you're happy aren't you because you're able to have a good orgasm you were quite surprised i yeah, remember that it was really yeah, good that's right that's another sort of one of the surprises greatly helped that yeah, they there's a probably a combination of there things is, there that, yeah. that contribute to that. So um, so maybe I'm being patient, but um, my circumstances are uh, with <laughs> um, you know long marriage, four adult children, etc. So I'm not at the point of seeking new relationships. And so also, you know, it, sex is not intercourse. They don't. They're not. You know, that that isn't what sex is. So there's a whole lot of intimate things we can do with someone that doesn't involve an erection. And for some people that's really important and they want to use injections. And for other people they're very happy to do the rehab and just enjoy intimacy in other ways and wait. And and there's nothing wrong with either. And I think it's really important that people understand that using injections doesn't make your erections get better on their own. Using injections is just a fast track so you can use it while you're waiting. Yeah. And look, it's just a personal view as well and I acknowledge for for some that, you know, it's it's a more significant thing but I personally never saw it as defining my manhood either. No. Yeah, and that's exactly right. It's just about what it is and Mm. so I think, you know, that's great. Mm. I also think it's really important that we make the difference between rehabilitation and relationship. Mm. So the rehabilitation is really important for you to get mm. back to normal penile length, which enables normal urine function, yeah. number one, and to, to look and feel close to normal. And then the relationship and the sex bit is actually completely separate. Mm. Mm. And we don't need to mix it all up and feel like just you have to have the penis injection or the vacuum pump for sex. It's actually more to restore your function, to make the best out of what the surgeon's done. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Which is mm. great. Mm. So I rem- now for some reason... It was about – I wanted you to talk to us about the Stockdale paradox. Yeah. You, you, you told me something really interesting about that. Yeah, look, yeah. I, I don't know whether you're familiar with it, but it was something I became aware of. Uh, and as I reflected on this, the sort of – I thought, hmm, uh, w- why do I feel positive about the experience? Mm. And um, I was aware of uh, the story of Admiral Stockdale, which um, – there was a book called Good to Great written by Jim Collins in 2002. Oh, yeah. And it's aimed at, you know, management and business. It's mm-hmm. about, you know, successful businesses in the United States. And um, he was uh, the highest ranking American captured by the Viet Cong, as they were then known in the Vietnam War. He was in prison for seven years between 1965 and 73 and tortured many times uh, and... He is renowned uh, for his leadership and for his resilience and surviving um, what's a, you know, to read would be quite, um, you know, a depressing story to read. And uh, Jim Collins and he uh, at one stage worked on the same campus uh, in the United States. And he was having a conversation and this is what sort of found its way into the, in Jim Collins' book. He was having a conversation with with um, Stockdale one day and it was along the lines of um, who are those that didn't get out? Mm. And Stockdale said, 
it was the optimists. And you sort of think... Mm, the, optimists okay. the optimists didn't get out. Didn't get mm, out. Okay. So, well, that doesn't sort of quite make no, sense. So I'm a bit confused there. brain's blown. That's right. It's a bit confusing. And he said, yeah, it was the, um, it was the guys who said... Ah, uh, we'll be out by Christmas. Ah. And then Christmas came and Christmas they went. Deflated. And then uh, it'll be Easter. Yeah. I love this came. when you told me this. I've, I've ordered the book actually. And then Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving went. And then like next COVID, Christmas. Open open. Yeah. <laughs> next Christmas went and eventually they died of a broken heart. Oh. Now, um, oh. and and um, then Stockdale said to, um, to Jim Collins that there's a sort of the lesson is to accept the brutal facts of the reality that you are facing, mm. right? But at the same time, remain absolutely convinced that you will prevail and this will not define me. That's fantastic. So that became then what he called the Stockdale Paradox. Yeah. Mm. So I was familiar with this and I, the way I saw it, because I wondered, you know, why, why do I feel about this the way I do? And, and mm. the way I sort of saw it was, well, one, for example, when I first became aware and first made conclusions about the fact that I had prostate cancer was, well, that's what it is, right? I can't argue against it. Mm. The science is there. It shows me. So, so first of all, you know, um, understand where you are. Mm-hmm. Secondly... You've actually got to accept that yeah. because you can't move forward until you actually accept. Yeah, you can't change accept that. it. Yeah. One thing, know the facts, accept where you are. Then take it one day at a time. So be very present. You know, we might sort of mm. refer to it as mindfulness now. Mm. And it's interesting because um, Stockdale drew, he studied philosophy. Although mm. he was an admiral, he studied philosophy. And he referred to the ancient Stoics, and I'm not sure if mm. you're familiar with... No, um, but we know the modern one is Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> the ancient Stoics is a particularly a guy called Epictetus, and he wrote about... Um, <laughs> he wrote about, and it, it's, it's not sort of... It, it, it's elsewhere as well, but essentially you have the choice to respond how you wish in whatever the circumstance. Yeah. Whatever the circumstance you have the choice as to how you respond. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what you're in control over. Yeah. You're not in control of a whole lot of other external things, no. but you are in control of how you respond. Yeah. Right? So um, accept the facts, mindfulness, not sort of, um, sort of getting too far ahead of yourself um, and uh, then having that absolute conviction that I'll be okay. Eventually. And I just have to be patient. That's right. Yeah. 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 So there were, they were the sort of four elements that I sort of interpreted from the Stockdale Paradox. Mm. That, and I wondered why I had the attitude that I did and why I generally would say on balance that it's been – having getting prostate cancer has actually been a positive experience. Yeah. I, I, th- I just think that's great. And I think so many people can learn from that kind of attitude. It's and that, that was why I wanted to talk to you today because right. I loved that. And now, just before we wind up, there was one other thing that I remember you said to me as well and I wrote it down because I loved it. Can I just ask one question? I'm going to slip in a bit of oh. football thing. Okay. Mick Malthouse said something famous many years ago. The ox is slow, the earth is patient. Mm. So pretty much what you just said, persevere, we'll get there. I think he was talking about the West Coast Eagles at the time. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, well, I, I didn't study philosophy. Mm. I think Mick Malthouse must he have, yeah. uh, based on uh, not only that one but of a number of others that mm. he used. But, but uh, yeah, look, I think it's it's sort of 
through that knowledge, mm. just being realistic and, and also, and I, I use the, the analog- that, that story about um, the experience that I had on the Mitchell Freeway. Yes. Yeah. See, my body actually knew. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't face it. And you didn't listen, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. So that's it was so only cool that you had that intuition. In hindsight that I was able to say, mm, okay. So when we're dealing with things, you, you've actually got to have the courage to, do, to, to the face courage. the difficult. Yeah, you do. So this is what I was going to ask you is I know that you said to me that you feel like, and I might have worded this wrong, but I, the way I felt that you said is that you feel like you're kind of a better person because of this experience because you're more empathetic maybe and you yeah, just… Yeah, I would, I would hope so. I mean, others might, might judge and others might mm. say, well, look, you know, he's sort of still living in you know, the land of wishful thinking and <laughs> he's out of touch with his own feelings, etc. I'd say um, the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, I would hope that I have become a better person you know, uh, m- more open and more empathetic. Mm. Open. That was the thing you said to me. You felt like you were more open at Do talking about this. Do you think that you would have this. thought yourself one day you'd be on the Penis Project podcast talking about your penis and your prostate? Like how open could that be? Is it, it's just a one-word answer and the answer will be no. Exactly. Yeah. And look at you now. I mean, you're and you're here because you want to help other people. So that it has already made a change. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and, and the success of the podcast and, and the fact that it's got such even an international audience uh, shows mm. the absolute sort of demand for it. Yeah, because this is the kind of thing that men li- are like you before and, and find it difficult to talk about and this way they can listen in the privacy of their yeah. own car and stuff. And the fun, yeah. fun thing is we actually don't have any problem getting guests. Mm. You would have thought that maybe we'd have two episodes and that would be it, but we have people requesting that we interview them and we've got the capacity to, to reach the most incredible people globally mm. and we have and it's take it's it's taken us back a little bit like a bit mm. astonished so i just uh, another little silver lining from covid yeah. then yeah and i just think that it's just so powerful for people to share their own stories so much better than hearing it from health professionals and even research i mean i mm. i had to write scientifically and i remember failing my first assignment at uni which was to describe an ergonomic desk setup i failed my first assignment because I wrote it with purple prose <laughs> and I was told, Joe, this is a scientific paper that you don't need to describe the petals on the cushion. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to learn to strip everything back to science. Mm-hmm. But the everyday person doesn't think like a lab yeah. rat yeah. or mm. behave like a lab rat. So, mm. yeah. So, Jeff, in summary, is there anything that we haven't talked about today? I mean, as uh, I, I think that there's lots of pearls of wisdom out there and I reckon mm. the book sales are going to go up of that. Of mm. the book, mm. um, Sorry, the, book? the Stockdale I'm Paradox oh, book, okay. which and I'll put yeah. the name of the book yeah, in look, the show notes. I mean that material is available broadly, you know. Yes, so I know. There's, yeah. there's various links that I could refer you to there as well. Mm. No, look, I, I think it's been covered. I really appreciate the opportunity just to put one side of the story because I was a bit conscious that there's there's many for which it's been a very very you know physically and emotionally challenging. But my circumstance is um, is a more positive. Well, experience. it's a different perspective and. And that's fantastic. And, you know, what we try and do is is have all different perspectives because there will be someone, or probably a lot more than one, that will listen to this and go, oh, wow, I can identify with that. So yeah. it's and also great. just to butt in, sorry, there was a story in the Australian Weekend about five weeks ago, not if I sure saw that, but it was about a young guy, I think his name was Tim Baker, it could be... It is re- Tim Baker. S- he was a surfer and he was 50 years of age and I don't think he had the opportunity to be prepared like you were. It's just different in the East Coast, generally speaking. But here in Western Australia, we've got a probably a smaller population, so we tend to work together or know each other 
very well. So if I s- you you see me as a physiotherapist, I can work with any surgeon and that surgeon will be comfortable. Whereas I have colleagues in the East Coast, if they work with one surgeon, they're not allowed to see another surgeon's patients, which is a bit of a shame. But altogether, we have this opportunity to unite and collaborate and be prepared. And that is what happens over here. So this poor man, the first line, the first sentence in the story of the Weekend Australian said, I miss my cock. Mm, now, gosh. how confronting is that? I wouldn't, you wouldn't think the Weekend Australian would write that. Mm. So there was an avalanche of letters to the editor. It resonated with so many men across Australia. Now, I didn't know it, but my Prost program and the board wrote to the editor and said, but that doesn't happen here in Western Australia because we have Prost. And I, before we knew it, we were, I was a page three girl and we got a five-page five online article. I set up Prost ten years ago to build the mood, muscle and mateship of men to be positive. And after 10 years, it suddenly, you know, got a little bit of press. But I'm not here to say anything more than I firmly believe that here in Western Australia, if you get prostate cancer, you're about in the best hands in the world. From our own experience, we also have ECU, June Deluxe doing at the Vario Institute with Professor Rob Newton, world-leading exercises, medicine, cancer stuff. And people can drop in and do that. We've got the PROST program, which is evolving nationally now at PROST. We've got so much good stuff happening in Perth, but people like you, you, Jeff, are helping us help others do a better job elsewhere because that's one positive of COVID. It has actually brought the world together. Hmm. So thank you so much, Jeff. Really appreciate you coming and um, it was just great. Thanks a lot. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. And in summary, I've been taking a note of your C words today. (laughs) Courage, confrontation when you got cancer, catheter, constipation, feeling comfortable, which is what you talked about in the context of your wife, making connections with others, COVID, but mostly having the courage. And thank you for your courage and sharing your story today. Thank you. That's great. Thanks. I'm going to tell you about a boy lives inside me it's been there all of my life hi i'm melissa and i hope you enjoyed the podcast this week just a reminder if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer i've built a penile rehabilitation program just for you it's an online program packed with information exercises and advice along with proven strategies that will get your penis back in working order as quickly as possible in about 15 minutes a day If you like the sound of that, then please head over to penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you can start straight away or there's a link from the RS Health website. We would also love you to review and subscribe and share this podcast so we can help more men. Links to Instagram and Facebook are in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. So spread the word that help is available. All the best for now. Bye. I've got a boy of my own now It fills me with pride See him growing so fast into a man His victories become mine